sharing and being vulnerable and showing emotion has been seen as extremely weak in the black male community until now. That's T. Drew. He's co-founder of One and One Life, an African-American-owned mental health and wellness performance company based in New York City. You're given one mind and one body, and we want to help make both of those better by 1% each day. Thomas went through more than his fair share of mental health struggles during his schooling days. He was regularly victimized by bullies, ending up so distressed that he became suicidal. I was was right there, like I almost did it. Thomas had a hard time learning to love himself and stop hating the fact he was different. When he figured out how to use that individuality to his advantage, life changed. And no matter what people do to you, no matter how people treat you, it cannot change the impact that you want to leave on the world. Since graduating from college, Thomas has been striving to set a unique example for young black men as an entrepreneur working to empower his community. And I can do it and be myself. I can do it in a cool way. I can make mm. an impact. And I don't necessarily have to be an athlete or musician if I don't want to. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Thomas, what was it like growing up in Grand Rapids, Michigan? It's the Midwest, man. It's like, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about the Midwest that's cool is, is the majority of people in the Midwest, they'll tell you, I actually was watching the Magic Johnson uh, documentary thing on Apple TV. You should watch it. It's really good. But it, it was a park where he was uh, talking with Isaiah Thomas because they're both from the Midwest and they were talking about these like Midwest values. And that's why they became close friends because of like the, you know, uh, the way you were raised and just being good people and being genuine and stuff like that. So that's what being raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan was like, man, I had a, you know, I'm very, very lucky to have two incredible, I mean, I can't talk about how amazing my parents are. I, I could do a whole episode just on that. And I'm just a product of my environment. But being in the Midwest, um, it made me crave diversity and it made me crave uh, a bigger pond because you can be a fish in a small pond, but, you know, a goldfish doesn't get bigger unless you put it in a bigger tank. So I want to go to the bigger tank. What sort of values were instilled in you out in the Midwest? You know, I live in New York City now, and New York is obviously New York. And there's good people here, and there are, you know, some bad people here. There's some scammers. There's, some, you know, finessing and, 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 and stuff like that. But those good Midwestern values, when I say good Midwestern values, it is being kind to people, um, being genuine, being transparent, really treating someone the way that you want to be treated. Uh, you know, even simple things like greeting people, saying hi to people, being friendly, uh, opening doors for people. One of the most important things about the Midwestern values thing is like the whole uh, hard hat and, and lunch pail um, type of work ethic. That's that's really what you get with like Midwest people. I've met a lot of people in New York City from the Midwest and they all are doing decently well. And I think it's because they just knew they had to work harder than everybody else. And, and you know, I think it's something that's just innate. Yeah, and I know you need that work ethic in New York City. 
Oh, dude. I mean, the whole saying where it's like, you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. It's, it's true. New York is, is definitely dog eat dog. But, but the good part is, is that it's, it's one of the only places in the world where, where anything is really possible. So there's awesome people here. And as long as you're yourself and you're transparent, there's a way that you kind of end up around the right people. But if, if you're fake and you're not genuine, New York will suss you out and spit you out. You might be able to last in LA for a little bit. <laughs> New York will New York will spit you out. Yeah. Nah, that's a really interesting picture of that. So how was your mental health in your younger years? Oh man, this was part of the main reason why I do what I do. I was like an outcast, man. I was always uh, you know, kind of weird in a good way. And, you know, just because of, like my brain and who I was, like I was reading chapter books in third grade. Uh, I skipped first grade, so I went straight from kindergarten to second grade. I had tested extremely high in all the like IQ, gifted, talented kid stuff. So it like put me in this like bucket of the opposite of like whatever normalcy was. And so like I was younger than everybody else um, because I skipped a grade. And, you know, in the Midwest, like a lot of the white kids didn't really want to be my friends because I was black. And like, you know, I came from a two parent home and a good family. And there was a lot of black kids and went to my school. I went to a Catholic school um, They didn't kind of grow up like I grew up. And so they didn't really identify with me. And so they didn't really want to be my friends either because they were like, you know, you're the whitest sounding black kid we've ever met. And, you know, because I was articulate. And so you, you sort know, of felt like you like were that. caught between two worlds. Oh, yeah, man. I, I, I had this huge, huge identity crisis. Like, I was like, I wasn't accepted. I wasn't cool. Um, I was just a nerd, uh, you know, and I'm still a nerd to this day. But, <laughs> but like, it's just, that's the great thing about being a late bloomer. Like, the reason why I feel like I'm, I'm able to be so kind to people is because I know how it feels for people not to be kind to me, mm. you know, way back then. And so... That was where a lot of the depression came in. That's where a lot of the bullying came in. I was bullied really bad. And I had a, a close friend, like my best friend growing up. His dad was like a second dad to me and, you know, black father. And at eight years old, when I was eight years old, he committed suicide. And that was like my first experience with suicide. And he got stripped away from me. After that, I like no longer was able to talk to like my best friend. So that threw me in a, in a depression because like the only friend I had, I was no longer able to talk to. Um, and so all of that kind of culminated and, you know, I, my parents put me in the, in the therapy for that. And this was like in like the year 2000. So like, this is like when, you know, a lot of this stuff people didn't even say, it still was like kind of taboo. Um, and then because of all that, because of me not fitting in, because of me being bullied, because of, me thinking people didn't like me because of me thinking I was like an outcast or weird because of how my brain worked or whatever. There was a point when I was like 12 or 13 years old where I almost took my own life. I was, was right there. Like I almost did it. And then, you know, a, a voice came in my head and it was like really deep. And to this day, like, you know, I don't know if it was like, you know, my, my grandfather that I'm named after, like my guardian angel spirit guy, that type of thing. But he was like, you know, son, put the gun down. I have really big plans for you. You know, you're going to do really special things. And um, yeah, man, but, you know, that's, that's why I'm so passionate about this stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I luckily don't have any diagnosed mental health issues. Like we all, 
we all go through ups and downs, but, you know, I don't, um, you know, I don't suffer from serious anxiety or debilitating depression or anything like that. I think some of the reason that I, I am able to say that is because I've done a lot of work on just my mental strength and mental stability. But when people really suffer from depression and bipolar and some of these things, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain. And you can do all of the mental strength work that you want, but sometimes you just can't do anything about that. Luckily, I don't have to deal with that, but I'm just very, very passionate about the space because not only because of how I grew up, but just because I know how how important it is. Man, that's a lot of heavy stuff to go through as a young kid, though, all of that. Tell me about the bullying. What was some of the details of what that was like and what they used to do to you? I was like overweight. I used to get shoved in lockers at recess. Like kids would like throw rocks and shit at me. Like I'll never forget one day. And this is the reason why I hate the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm actually an Eagles fan because my favorite team used to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I had this Pittsburgh Steeler beanie hat and this kid like took my Pittsburgh Steelers hat and like, threw it in this jungle gym where like I couldn't get it and they all were like laughing at me and like pushing me and they're like, oh, you can't like go in and get it. Hate the Steelers because of that. It's funny, man. Like I actually had a kid, one of the kids that bullied me in high, in, in high school, um, I tried to sit at his table at lunch one day and he like said a whole bunch of racist things. Um, and, you know, I went home and told like my mom and like and my parents and like my mom like called his mom and it was this big thing. But um a couple of years ago, that kid actually apologized to me uh, via Facebook. And he was like, man, I just wanted to apologize. Like, life is short. I've been meaning to say this to you for so many years, just watching you progress and watching your journey. And I just wanted to apologize for what I did that day. And you you inspire me. And I've been watching your journey. And I know you're going to continue to do great things. But I just want to apologize for that day. And I've grown since then. And I was like, you know what? It takes a real man to do that. And I appreciate that, bro. So. Yeah, that's big that someone would come around like that. How does that make you feel like you're someone who has that kind of an impact on someone who was raised to have that view as a young person and then have it drastically changed that much that they felt like they actually had to reach out and tell you that as a man? It's a good question, man. I think that's the... Um, I think the best long-term strategy is just kindness, man. You know, cause I never, whenever someone goes low, you never stoop to go as low as them. You stay as, as high as you are so they can reach you one day. That's like my, my, my thing. So, you know, I just, I, I, I never, I never was a fighter. I never wanted to give him that back. Um, and all these things that I went through, all the pain, I just, figured out a way to turn it into fuel. Like, you know, e even in my career, like there's so many companies that said no to me when I was trying to work for them or so many companies that wouldn't give me an internship or so many. And like, I remember every single one of them. I remember the person, I remember the room, I remember the day, I remember the time. And I just put it in the back of my mind and I'm like, if I think of myself as an engine and you continue to give me all this fuel, I'm never going to run out of gas. So like, as long as I just continue to be kind to people, that's why like, as a person, you have to realize and understand like what your goal is as a human and what impact you want to leave on the world. And no matter what people do to you, no matter how people treat you, 
it cannot change the impact that you want to leave on the world. Anybody that meets me, hears me speak, whatever, I have always wanted them to say, like, you know, T. Drew, he's an incredible person. You know, like, oh, you've heard of him? Yeah, but, like, I know him. Like, he's actually an incredible dude. And you can control that. Like, so, you know, that was my whole thing. Like, and just for him to say that, that just means that that long-term strategy worked. So if I continue to do that, like I said, I think it's it's the best long-term strategy. That's that's like a self-awareness thing, which is a whole different conversation. Yeah, and but I totally agree with you in that continuing to focus and work on yourself and spend your days trying to be the best version of yourself, the best person that you can be and treat people well respectfully and then eventually that energy comes back around. But it just must be moments like that must sort of reaffirm the fact that you've been on the right path and just how far you've come, I guess, as well. How did being treated in such a poor way when you were a kid being bullied and then also going through your, your friend's father's suicide, all of this stuff, how did that make you view yourself as a person? Like, what was your inner dialogue? I've always talked to myself. Like, I've always had this, this dialogue. My brain never shuts off, ever depending on the type of person that you want to be and, 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 you know, the the type of mindset that you want to have, you can train yourself to get there, but you have a choice. You can either go down the negative self-talk route or you can go down the positive self-talk route. And even when things feel like they're bad around you, the only thing that's going to lift you out of that is continuous positive self-talk. Cause that, that narrative in your head is going to be true, whether it's positive or it's negative, the story that you're telling yourself is going to manifest. Oh, that's, that's, that's one of my biggest things, man. Thoughts become things and it's, it's for everything, either negative or positive. So I choose positive. I always like my biggest shift. It happened to me in, in 2017. Cause I read this book called think and grow rich. It's like my favorite book ever of all time. And like, I've read a lot of books and that still is like my favorite that. And, um, the four agreements is, is, is great because the four agreements has just a crazy way of simplifying everything in life down to four concepts, which to me, like one of the most brilliant things that you can do is take something complicated and simplify it. But I agree. Um, think and grow rich to me was it made me take hold of my subconscious mind in a way that I never had before. And I retrained and reframed how I thought about everything in life. And literally as I did that, I just started to see stuff manifest. Like, and the whole thoughts become things thing is, is it's because you have a choice. And if you think about it as simple as this, you either have a choice to think about and let what isn't going right dominate your mind or you can think about what you want to go right, who you want to be, what you want to happen, and you get obsessed with that and then let that come to you. So it's a difference between instead of living in a lack mindset, you shift it to an abundance mindset yeah. and you have to do it continuously. And it's like, just like everything else, like how you lift weights and all this other type of stuff. It's like weightlifting for the mind. Mm. It's crazy how stuff starts to change but it has to truly be in your subconscious mind. And then you're, but then you you're looking to... for it as well. So you, you're looking for the positive in every situation after you've conditioned yourself to think like that rather than looking for the negative. And then you're going to see that and you're gonna, it's going to feel like your, your life's full of positive things or at least the positive things are going to mean a lot more. But that's, it doesn't mean that there's 
necessarily more positive stuff going on even than there was before. It's just that that's what you're choosing to see and look at. But then inevitably, it'll probably actually result in, in better things happening to you some of the time. I mean, bad things still happen to good people, but a lot of it isn't yeah. necessarily our external reality. It's, it's how we choose to perceive it and, and what we look at in our day to day that makes the difference between someone who's having a fulfilling life and someone who's looking for threats and danger everywhere and can never feel content or, or at ease. Exactly. It's, it's, it, it's a choice and it's, it's perspective. It's like one of my favorite quotes. It's like a healthy person wants 10,000 things and a sick person wants one thing. Yeah. Like it's all, it's, it's all perspective. And so when you really understand gratitude and, and, you know, you live, you know, in, in a real space of gratitude, you start to become grateful for like the smallest things. And, you know, I've gone through a lot of things in my life personally, health wise and stuff like that. But the way that I get through it is just being, being grateful. Like everybody's always just like, yo, like a lot of people, you know, people ask me, you're like, are, like, are you happy? Cause they know like, you know, entrepreneurship is obviously <laughs> very hard and dark and lonely and like all this other type of stuff. So a lot of people, friends or you know whatever even on stuff like this when i get interviewed or when i talk like a lot of people love to ask just because i always have energy and i'm inspiring and i'm positive they're like are you happy and i'm like happiness is like relative man it's like it's like this because in order to be happy you have to be sad well happiness is an emotion i do some work working with school kids talking about well-being and mental health and we were talking about happiness a few weeks ago and just the concept of aiming for happiness as a goal. If you ask most people, what do you want? They say, oh, I want to be happy. But then if you ask them to explain what happiness is, they can't do it. And then if you ask them, is it possible to be happy all the time? Everyone says no. So if your one aim is to be happy, then you're destined to not make that. Like it's just impossible to be happy all the time and that shouldn't be the one goal. Not that I'm telling everyone what to aim for in life, but it's more like fulfillment and purpose rather than that emotion of happiness, that emotion comes along the road. But like you said, you can't have the sunshine without the rain. If you don't have struggles and challenges and dark times in your life, then you can't experience happiness because you've got nothing to compare it to. Yeah, and we're, we're humans, dude. Like nobody, if, if anybody's happy all the time, all the time, they're just like, that's weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like, they're just faking it, right? My, my, yeah, right. And like my, my other thing is like, I, like, the other thing I realized is that honestly, you know, it's like happiness is kind of like a choice, man. Cause it's like you, you can always figure out something around you to be grateful for. You want to know why? Cause there's people with no water. There's people with no food. There's people that can't walk, talk, hear, see, and you'll meet some of those people, people that have never been able to see their entire life. They haven't been able to walk They're wheelchair bound and, and, they're in an amazing mood and they're happy because they're grateful for what they have and they're grateful for for what has been given to them even though they have never experienced the joys of doing what you and i can do right now yeah talking to each other being fit being able to work out it's crazy so those things that we take for granted but you you meet someone like that and then for the rest of that day you'll be like damn i'm so blessed uh i'm so grateful i'm never going to forget this feeling but then always 
life creeps back in and those little things that piss us off during the day start to overwhelm our frame of mind and then all of a sudden you forgot how to be grateful and it's about having that capacity to remind yourself day after day after day after day because you might have that initial burst of motivation where you meet someone and you, you feel that gratitude but it doesn't just stay there you have to work it out like a muscle yeah, exactly. That's why I, I, I think routine is, is very important, but I, I also starting with, with gratitude is important. Even if you don't like I, journaling and audio and stuff, all that stuff is important. Like I, I love it. And it's within like some of the stuff that we do and like whatever, but it's like, even if, if it's just a thought, like, and just being in a state of gratitude, which is like a mental training and mis- uh, like a, a mental positioning to just be in a grateful state. Like I'm always in a glass half full state. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm never in a glass half empty state because I just, I realize, and I catch myself too. Like, you know, I'll be complaining about something. Then I'll just like snap out of it. And I'll be like, dude, like relax. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, but it's, but it's that it's snapping like, out of it. That's the key. And, and it is a choice to see that glass half full or glass half empty. And that's the the skill, if you like, or at least the habit is, is catching yourself, snapping yourself back out of it and knowing that you're the one who's actually deciding to feel that way. Um, I'm interested, what was your experience of going through therapy like as a kid? So it, it was like, it, it just was cool being able to share and talk to someone about stuff that wasn't like my parents. I personally think everybody should have some type of therapy. And like, when I say therapy, everybody should have someone that they're talking to that isn't in their immediate family circle that doesn't really have any bias to just help them work through stuff. Yeah. And like, for me, my mental performance coach kind of doubles as like my therapist. So, you know, we work through and, you know, we'll talk about like executive performance stuff, you know, like one of my biggest problems my whole life has been imposter syndrome. And like, I've been able to work through that, but also just like talking about stuff and helping just continue to help me reframe it and and keep me in a good state of mind. Um, And this person is not part of my immediate family. There's some things that you won't let loose and that you won't talk freely about because you, you have that bias. And so that's why it's always good to like my, my analogy of it is like, and especially with men and we're like water balloons. It's like, we just keep filling up the balloon with water, obviously like stuff that we internalize and we fill it up and we fill it up and it gets heavier and it gets heavier and it gets heavier. You got to pop the balloon. Doing that is, is what therapy is. And the therapy isn't this thing where it's like, oh, I'm so messed up, like whatever I got. Like, that's not what it's about. It's just about the way that I look at it is like, I have so much stuff in my brain the exercise of talking about it. Like sometimes my mental performance coach, I'll say stuff out loud and me saying stuff out loud, I piece it together as I'm saying it out loud because I've never said it out loud. Well, that's that's the key thing really. And even if you are, whether it's a, a coach or it's a friend or it's a psychologist, a lot of the time it's, we've got all this chaos in our mind, all these things swirling around in our head and whoever that person is actually just needs to speak it out loud. Cause just like what you said there, as soon as you start speaking it, you make sense of it yourself. And it's like the other person in the room, they're there to prompt or maybe make you see things in a different light. But really we sort that out ourselves, but it's actually speaking that out loud, which we're probably not going to do if we're alone. That allows us to do that in our minds. Exactly. Cause it's crazy. It's like you hear yourself and you're like, Oh, 
that doesn't make and sense. It's like, like I, I, was, I was talking to her about my my imposter syndrome, and I was just like, and my men's performance coach was like, okay, so I was talking, I was talking through it. She was like, okay, so give me a time where you've ever been under pressure and you've like really failed to deliver, like in 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 a business sense. And I was like, I can't. And she was like, why are you worried about it? And I was like, you make oh. a good point. <laughs> like, and that, that, that's not my internal dialogue, dude. Like I'm, I'm a maniac. Like I always, like, I always just want better for myself. It's yeah. never good enough. I can always do better. I'm never good enough. I'm never good enough. And she just was like, you're like, you're batting a hundred. What are you worried about? Yeah. And I'm like, she's like, and she's like, you're batting a hundred because guess what? Like you're being yourself. So to take it a step further, she's like, this is who you are. Like it's innate. Yeah. You can't like, help it. Yeah. And then, and, and then, and then I went to my childhood and we started talking about that. And he was like, you know, it was something my dad always said, like my dad was always like, yeah, man, like my son, you've always had a sense of the moment. You've always performed well under pressure in every situation ever since you were little. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. How's mental health been viewed generally within the black community? in your experience? I can't speak for black women in the way that I can speak for black men. Sharing and being vulnerable and showing emotion has been seen as extremely weak in the black male community until now. And more so than among white men? Yeah, I think it's like a, it's like a cultural thing within like the black community with men. Like, oh, like if you're crying like a bitch, like don't be soft. like you know, man up, like, and man up is something like all men here, but like, just in the, like, black men specifically in general, it's like, there has always been this, like, collective feeling of this is how we deal with stuff. If you were to open up to, like, your boy in this way, you're seen as soft or, like, you know, you're like a hoe or, like, and these are all, like, terms that are loosely yeah. used so you, in, like, you think milk. That, that attitude of, of manning up and, and hardening up and being a man, that's even more amplified in black culture than in other cultures. Oh, yeah, because of, of, like, the, the burden of, like, black men. It's sad and it's unfortunate because, because black men have been, like, conditioned that way just because of slavery and racism and all this other type of stuff. We always carry more on our shoulders than we should and our shoulders are broad but we think they're a lot broader than they actually are is it from history and having more of a burden to just be able to survive and get through the day and being oppressed as a culture that has conditioned that attitude among men because there was more of a feeling of threat that if you ever let any emotions slip or let that wall down that that could result in you actually dying that day or something really serious happened to you? Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right, man. Hit the nail on the head because, and, and, and it's, it's a difference in community. So like black men growing up in the hood, it's like, it's, it's exactly what you just said. You know, you can't ever show weakness because you'll get taken advantage of and you being vulnerable and being open and like emotional and talking about whatever, like that is seen as weakness and you will get taken advantage of. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it's always, it, it's like this feeling like, because, you know, even growing up, my dad told me, and, and this is just how it is. Like, as a black man, you got to be twice as smart. You got to work twice as hard. Um, 
and people will take things from you. People will take your ideas and, and take them as their own. So it's hard to be vulnerable. You have like, you, we're always taught to like protect yourself like an armadillo. Yeah. Like, Cause you know, there's always, you know, someone that's trying to, to take that intellectual capital to take that, you know, thing that they can't replicate, uh, you know, and, and, and there's always people that don't want to see you be in a certain position. Yeah. So um, there's that, that tendency so, yeah. to be ultra defensive because of that. And then it would make sense that, you know, opening up to your friends or your family within that culture and then having that thrown back in your face, that might be a sign of love, even though it's so confusing because your homie or your dad he sees you start talking about your feelings and your emotions and they react angrily or negatively, but that's because they're scared for you because they're probably feeling that themselves and they feel like they can never do that and they see you start to do it. They might even deep down want to talk to you about that or want to hug you or want to help you, but they feel like if they allow that, then it's going to end up with you getting hurt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you did a great job unpacking that, man. I think like, also the thing with like black fathers is that they're just historically like not emotional. Like, you know, um, you know, my, my dad, even growing up, I just feel very lucky. Cause like, he actually told me like, he loved me and stuff. Like, you know, he, he, he wasn't like, like my mom, like, I love you so much. And like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, you know, my dad, said the like, words. Yeah, proud. yeah, he'd be like, you know, proud of you, love you. And like, that's, that's important. And like, I, I know so many friends of mine that are like black men and they're like, yeah, you know, my, like, I kind of knew it, but like my dad, he just was never vocal. He never told me he loved me, you know, like it, it's little stuff like, and then me as a father, like, I don't have any kids, but you know, hopefully I will someday. And I'm going to like, I'm going to damn near love by my suffocate kids. Him. I'm going to be the type of, <laughs> oh, dude, I'm going to be the type of dad. Like I'm like, my kids are going to like, be like, they're like, dad, get away from me. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're going to be like suffocated with love because, you know, I, I just I know what that means. Like, you know, and it's like in a lot of these black fathers, like they don't do it on purpose. That's just how they were raised. It's just old school. Like, you know, my dad is a baby boomer. I won't give his age, but he's a baby boomer. You do math like and, you know, black fathers in the baby boom, like baby boomer, black fathers or black parents. They grew up in the civil rights movement. They grew up like in racism. They grew up in like all this stuff I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so they're like hardened by that. And like for good reason. But um How do you yeah, think man, it affects like, the how do you think it affects black sons when their fathers don't ever tell them that they love them? Oh, I mean like dude, I've seen so many videos on like social media where like, you know black sons have beef with their fathers that weren't around and then they, you know, go, you know, they, they kind of patch up the beef and like the father tells the son, he loves him for the first time. And the son breaks down and cries. Cause it's like all this pent up, built up, like, you know, unmet need there. Like it, it, it's like that for majority of like, you know, black fathers and, and, and sons. Um, and, you know, like I said, I was I was one of the lucky ones. And and I also know other fathers who were like like me, because like I've seen it like with my friends. You know, I like be around, you know, some of my friends and their dad, and they're like, you know, it's like, oh, love you, son. Like, oh, like, 
And I'm like, it's great. Yeah. But it, it's not the norm. But I think what my hope is, is that um, the millennial generation, as we're having kids, that it will be the norm. Um, and even like, you know, I, you know, it, it's also good because I remember like growing up, for example, when I was watching the NBA draft, like, you know, the majority of, of, of kids drafting the NBA were black. And, you know, as I was growing up watching the draft, like in the early 2000s, you didn't see a lot of players with parents that were like at the draft. Like you didn't see a lot of fathers there. You didn't see a lot of, and today, like the majority of the black players at the NBA draft have both of their parents there and their dad is there. I'm like, this is great. This yeah. is amazing. So you can see the, pl- um, you can see the progress, but it's a, it's a generational thing. It's not something that happens overnight. It happens decades yeah, on decades generation. on decades. And then when you're 50 years down the line, then hopefully it looks different. And hopefully you go in the right way rather than go in the wrong way. Um, we see a lot more examples of super successful, hyper-masculine African-American men or African-American men within hyper-masculine um, subcultures at least. So I'm talking about sports and music in particular. Uh, and historically, there's been a bit of a, a notion that that was the only way to get out of the hood. Like It was either you're going to be a great athlete, you're going to be a bowl player, or you're going to be uh, an artist. And that was the only way to sort of make it out. How do you think that has impacted the way that black men see themselves? Oh, it's, it's, it's huge, man. Cause I, there, there's this saying and it's why, you know, I'm so passionate just about what I do is that, you know, in, in order to be it, you got to see it. So like, yeah, if all we're seeing growing up is men that look like us playing in the NBA and being, you know, musicians and actors and stuff like that. That I mean, that not like entertainment is great. Like I love entertainment. Like I, it, it's whatever. But like, I think there's only like three black CEOs in the Fortune 500. You know, I think there's like, I think only, I think you know, around like three percent of of you know all institutional capital is managed by someone black you know and i'm talking about like pension funds venture capital like all that other type and of then stuff. making it to the nba or making it as a rapper is like a tiny percentage so oh very tiny if you have the, I'm, t- the I'm, whole population gunning for that and then they don't see other a whole lot of other options or examples out there then there's a whole lot of people who aren't making it at least in their view Dude, I'm I am I'm the biggest proponent of like believing in yourself and having a vision because that's where it starts. Like if you don't believe you can get to the NBA, you're not going to do it. If you don't believe that you can do this, you're not going to do it. But I also have developed a love of data over the last like five years of my life. And like you're exactly right. Me doing what I'm doing. I'm just I'm I I'm supposed to do this. When I was seven, seven or eight years old, I wrote. And I had to do this autobiography for class where like we wrote in this book about our life. And I wrote that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and own seven businesses and move to New York City. I wrote that I my hobbies were basketball and reading. I didn't put in that that I wanted to go to the NBA. I said I wanted to be an entrepreneur and own seven businesses. So like there was a period in college because I played college basketball. There was a period where I would say from like 
16 to like 21, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to play professional basketball. That's my thing. But in the back of my mind, I was always like, but I want to own a team though. And I, and I want like, while I'm playing basketball, I'm going to use it as a platform to launch my business ventures and all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, so you're always thinking bigger. Oh, always. And, and, my, and my coaches always told me, they were like, they were like, your brain is too big for basketball. <laughs> and then, and that, that always messed with me, though, because I was like, why does it have to be that way, though? I can't have a big brain and do basketball, too. And then they were like, well, like, I think if you were to just – focus on basketball I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice because of your brain and I'm like hmm and that always like stuck with me and so this is why why Kobe Bryant has always been my biggest inspiration and why like his death I'm I'm never going to be right from that personally but like we were starting to see he was one of those like Kobe was brilliant like we were starting to see his investments his business his ability to storytell his his mind the way that he he took this concept of Mamba mentality, which essentially is whatever your profession is being the best at it because of attention to detail and an insane amount of drive. He was, he was showing us that, that it was possible. And so he was one of the only people that I was really able to truly look up to as far as like to see it be a type thing, because he was doing the business stuff, but he did it with swagger and he did it with like athletic prowess and he did it with charisma and, you know, he did it. So like a lot of what I'm trying to do, you know, my business partner's business and I exist because I think it is definitely our legacy thing that will allow us to make the greatest positive impact to the most amount of people while we're here. But the other reason why the business exists is because in doing it my way and presenting myself in the way that I do and being able to go in rooms and, you know, suits and do what I need to do and being able to go on panels and speak and, and, and deliver who I am in this way, there's going to be some young black entrepreneur somewhere. And I know because it's already happened to me and I'm not even like successful in my own estimation yet, but there's going to be some young black entrepreneur somewhere. And maybe they're not even black. Maybe they just identify with me because of who I am or whatever, but specifically young male entrepreneurs of color they'll be able to look at me and say, okay, I can, I can do what he's doing and I can do it and be myself. I can do it in a cool way. I can make mm. an impact. And I don't necessarily have to be an athlete or musician if I don't want to. And I love music. There is nothing I love more than music. And I played college basketball. I love sport, but my business partner and I talk about it all the time. We're going to own an NBA team one day. And we're gonna and we're gonna run it the way we want to run it, and we're gonna be the coolest owners ever. And it's gonna be like, but I, I want I want other people. You gotta see it before you're able to be it. You have something else to offer, but I think that's such a critical example that you're offering to young people coming up as another way of doing it. Um, that's outside of those confines and. The more of those examples that can be created, the better, because there's a whole lot of people out there that need to find a way forward and a way to provide and a way to contribute to society that's not just being a, a hyper-successful athlete or a rapper or whatever it is. So that's just so critical to have men like you leading the way in that regard. Um, and I can see a bit of Kobe in you. What's your uh, fadeaway jump shot look like? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. No, I, I mean... 
yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was crazy, man. I'm like, I'm six, six. I wear a size 14 shoe, Damn. like same thing. I wore, I wore 24 in college cause of Kobe. And then the second college I played at, I wore number 10 cause I was his Olympic number. So, um, so you were really trying yeah, to channel, man, got, you were trying to channel the Mamba. <laughs> yeah, I was. And I wasn't, I wasn't as athletic as him. I wasn't as good as him, but I was like, I can learn his mindset though. Yeah. Like, I, I like that's, that's what I can do. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, man, you know, I, I play in pro-ams in New York city and I still wear number 10 and, Sweet. and I still, my, my, my game is a little more, the realistic player comparison for me is Chris Middleton on the, on the Milwaukee okay. bus. That's, that's my game. All right. You're on the perimeter. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got, I, I got, I got my go-to fadeaway, man. Still, <laughs> boom, one, two, eight, Make a right. Uh, it's wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So Thomas, black Americans are incarcerated at five times the rate of white Americans and black households are substantially less wealthy generally than white. I think the poverty rates about double. What impact does all of that have on mental health? I mean, it's devastating, man. You know, it's, um, and, and even, you know, to, in, in addition to that, um, you know, COVID deaths and, and, and everything to do with COVID disproportionately affected black communities more than any other community. Um, so COVID hit the black community harder than any other community. Um, and, you know, I was at a, I was at this, um, you know, entrepreneurial conference this last week, they had a good panel of the black economic Alliance and Ray McGuire from Citigroup was speaking. Well, he used to be the chair, the vice chairman of Citigroup and, um, the the gap between the the wealth um is is widening like it's getting worse um like it's 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 a real problem and a lot of it is is truly systematic um and the whole thing is like it's so systematic it's crippling because it's like how do you change something so systematic and I think there's a, a couple of ways and reasons why it's important. One is I truly think that entrepreneurship and financial literacy will be the way that we close the, the black wealth gap, those two things. But as a people, we also need to stop the whole crab in a barrel mentality that has been condition for us to have because it's been so hard for black people to get to a position of influence, wealth, power, that when one of us gets there and we have an opportunity to bring another one of us up, we don't want to because we feel like we should be the only one there. It's very bad. It's very sad. It's very systematic. And that's another reason why my business partner and I are so focused and passionate about getting our story out there and being able to say, here are two young black men that put the ego aside, that knew that they could be better together, that are passionate about bringing up others like them and, you know, completely pushing the whole crap to the barrel thing aside because we truly know that they were better together. And I've, I've dealt with it like currently, like, Funds that are led by black people that raise all this money that say they want to invest in black owned companies, but they actually don't. 
and they raise the money for the wrong reason. Like it is, it is bad. And so that is how I truly think that we can do something about it. But, and, and, and not selfishly speaking and like trying to put what I'm trying to do on a pedestal or whatever, but it will truly be the people like me and other people that will actually make a difference in this way because the people that we bring up, like the only reason why I want to be successful and powerful and very wealthy at a high level so I can extend the olive branch. Like, the, the, like that, that's it. Like, I just want to help people because life is short and intelligence and gifts, I feel like are evenly distributed throughout a lot of people, especially in the black community. But opportunity is not. And if I can be in a place where I can extend that, then I'll be able to go to sleep at night. And there's a whole bunch of people that talk about that's what they're doing, but they're not doing it. They talk about it so they can raise the money and so they can feel good. And they take the money and mismanage it and take loans out against it and buy fancy stuff for their wives. And they don't disperse the capital in the right way. And their funds don't return. And then they're just sitting there and like, I'm not going to do that. Like I'm actually going to do it the right way. That was beautifully said, man. Uh, so what's the philosophy at, one in one life then what's what's it all about yeah so one in one stands for the fact that you're you're given one mind and one body and we want to help make both of those better by one percent each day um and that is that is the story of one in one that's what one in one means that's what it stands for there's a lot of different stories and narratives within the the ones. And there's a lot of reasons why we named the company that, but another thing is that, you know, we believe that wellness and mental health is a one step at a time, one day at a time thing. You're only given one mind, you're only given one body, but the end is between those because they're connected, like they're truly connected. Um, and the 1% better each day approach is very important to how we think about helping people with solutions and our content and the technology we're building and all this other type of stuff because wellness and, and mental health, it, it, it's that thing where it's like, we all know where we need to go and we all know what we want to do. Um, but for whatever reason, like a lot of times you're just not able to do it. Like we know where we want to go. We know what we want to achieve, but there's barriers that stop us from doing that. And one of the main reasons is because a wellness and, 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 and all that. It's not a one size fits all approach. And it's all this information out here and all these tools and all these things. And, you know, you think that you can do what this person does to get their result, but it's not like that because you're a different person. You have like, you're just different. And the other thing is the majority of people, when they set these goals for themselves and they want to achieve something or, or get better in an area, whether they want to the, the way I break it down and what one and one kind of solves and what we're working to solve, solve with our solutions is, you know, people want to become happy, wealthy, and fit. It's like the, it's the trifecta. And so like, in order to do that, when people try to do that and they go on that journey, they, most people look at the whole staircase. And when you, when you look at the whole staircase, you're sure to get overwhelmed. Like majority of us do. Yeah. And when you get overwhelmed, you, you stop and you start and stop or whatever. So the other thing that one-on-one stands for is instead of looking at the whole staircase, we just want you to fo focus on that first step and then the next step and then the next step and then the next step. And then when you look up, you'll be a long way up the staircase. 
But if you look at the whole staircase, you might not even start. Yeah, that's great. I love the way you put that. And I think that stops so many people from getting started on whatever their goal might be, or they see whatever their dream life is, but it's so far away from them that, like you said, you might not even take that first step, might not even start on that journey because you look at the end of the road or what you think the end of the road is and it just seems impossible so you don't even try. And that's such an attitude that can permeate through so many people's lives and you're making it far too complicated. You're thinking too much. As much as thinking is an important thing, taking that action and trying to just put one foot in front of the other and not overthink to the point where you just stagnate and don't go anywhere, that's massive. Uh, what sort of an impact have you seen One and One Life make in the community thus far? It's a good question, man. I mean, you know, living in New York and, and um, you know, since since we've been doing the kinds of stuff, it, it, it's been a few things. I've been walking around the city sometimes and like I'll have, you know, one of our like company hats on with our logo. And like one time I had someone come up to me and say they knew the company and that they did like amazing stuff for them and they loved our content, what we did and reading it and all this. And I was like, wow, really? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, wow, like, that's my company. I really appreciate that. And they're like, what? Like, no way. Like this isn't that stuff like that is cool. I think the, the main impact besides like people doing stuff like that, like I've had people say like, you know, I use your product reviews to purchase like the majority of the wellness products I purchase, which is cool. Obviously like people, just talking about our content, free stuff that they get to read and digest. But the stuff that's really hit me has been from our mental health podcast. Cause that's just, you know, such a niche community that we're building within the media landscape and content that we do. And, you know, I, we, we've had DMS and like comments and stuff like that, where it's like, yo, you know, this podcast saved my life. Like, you know, Danny and the episodes you guys are doing, like saved my life. Like, you know, I, I read this one comment where it was like, if my cousin would have had, you know, this show, you know, maybe he would still be alive. Like, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Yeah, um, I get that too, man. And that know. sort of hits you different. And that's why, it's a big reason it's why I keep yeah. doing this show is for messages like that and people that you've never met before reaching out like that and then telling them, telling you about a personal situation in their life and how listening to whatever you just put out help them to process that or help them to see something differently and that's amazing because you're part of you're part of that and for me personally that makes me feel like I'm doing as much as I can as an individual to have an impact in that sort of a way but it's those quiet impacts those quiet ripple effects where you know they're not necessarily you winning big awards or, or making a whole bunch of money or loud stuff but it means so much more just having people respond to the content you make for the reason that you're making it because you're a content creator like I am. We spend a lot of our time and energy making this stuff and putting it out there and you never know who's watching and who's listening to it. And anytime you get that back with people saying, yeah, this really meant something to me, that fires you up to keep going because you know it's not easy to keep putting this stuff out there. Exactly. No, dude. On the business side too, it's it's just like we have a partnership with like one of the biggest companies in the world. They they knocked on our door. They like what we're doing so much that they want to be the vessel to allow millions and millions of people to experience, you know, a, a content product from us. For all the failures that, you know, we've had as a company and stuff that we've done wrong, stuff like that just lets you know that you're on the right path. Yeah. You know and you've I mean? got to stay in the game. You've got to stay in the game long enough for those opportunities to arise. 
because most people will start something off, they have that initial burst of motivation, they're like, yeah, I'm gonna do this thing. And then when that runs out in a few months or a few years, people quit on it because they think, oh, this might, must not have been the right thing for me. And sometimes it isn't, but sometimes you just quit because it gets too hard and you never get to that point where you, know, that you meet that one person or that one connection offers you an opportunity and then who knows where it goes from there. But it's so hard to stay in the game when stuff's really, when the chips are down and you know, you're not getting any love out of it that most people won't see it through to a point where it gets to where your business is obviously getting where you have that one moment and then everything changes from there. Yeah, man. I mean, there's, there's so many sayings and, and just in stories and stuff. Cause I like, you know, stories are, are, are the best way to kind of learn things. That's really how stuff sticks. And it's just, it's a lot. It's so many that I always remember. Um, like, you know, just a couple of my philosophies, man. It's like, you only got to be right once. That's like my, one of my favorite things. Like you, you only got to be right once, but like, you're never going to have that, that, that one time or that one thing if you don't keep going up to bat mm. and like you got to keep going up to bat and yeah. realistically you only got to bat, you only got to bat like 30% or like 20, 20%. Yeah. You just got to keep going up to bat. Just stay, you know what I mean? Got to stay at the plate though. Like, you just got, yeah, you just got to stay at the plate, man. Like, you know, John Carlos Stanton goes to the plate, hits a, you know, a 500 foot home run. It's not like he's batting 50. He's probably batting like, I don't know. 30 like whatever just because you right go <laughs> you know what i mean like there's so many analogies in sports man it's like and then you know the other thing it's like i just i do so much research man and it's just like you know there's this entrepreneur named ryan breslow um he founded this company called bold and um you know he's you know very young entrepreneur very successful bold has like a you know a, a ridiculous valuation he pitched over a hundred times you hear these stories all the time and all the great stories, all the people that you look up to, they have this history of failure that they can look back on because the one differentiating factor between those who want to do things and those who actually do it is the fact that you don't give up and that you try, try again. And if it actually worked out in the first place, it wouldn't be a very good story and it also wouldn't build you into the character that you need to be to be able to see it through. And yet you can know that, you can see that repeated around all the people that you look up to, books that you read, stories that you hear. But when you're actually going through it and you're actually being called upon in your own life to keep pushing and keep persisting, you feel how hard that is. But I try to remind myself, this is your story right now. It's meant to be hard. Otherwise, everyone would do it. Yeah, that's that's my, like, an another two things that I think about all the time, man. It's like, you know, one of Jay-Z's, favorite lines is like the most brilliant thing we ever did was just not give up like that that's always stuck with me and it's because man you, you know where you know you know where jay-z came from it's like jay-z could have been killed and he turns into a billionaire self-made what he always said was yeah the, the, the most brilliant thing we ever did was just not give up my social media bio my instagram bio just says keep going because just gotta keep going. Keep it simple, like, right? That, keep it real simple. Yeah. You either you either keep yeah, going or you don't. <laughs> yeah, that's honestly the difference, man. Like that's the crazy thing because so many people are smart. So many people have amazing ideas. So many people have like cool stuff. 
but very, very, very few people have the ability to persevere when it gets like really, really, really hard. Mm. And if you think about it, as long as you just don't quit, you're going to win at some point. You don't necessarily know when that is. And you have to have this knowing that it's just going to happen. And as long as you just continue to push, you're going to get there. But it, it takes perseverance and patience. It takes adaptability. It takes vision. It takes being obsessive with the goal and the why, and it has to be the right thing. Mm. But if you just don't quit, you'll get there. Yeah. And either you'll get there faster. It's like the whole thing. It's like this is this illustration. It's like this guy, you know, he's like digging. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like many different type variations, but it's this, it's this guy. It's like digging for diamonds and he's like digging and it shows like the trail of him digging and then it shows like the diamond behind the dirt that obviously he can't see because he's digging and he's digging and digging and then he gets tired and he just stops and he just goes out. And then this other man comes down and he digs for five minutes and he reaches the diamond. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, had you just, you, you know, it's like, th this is how I explain entrepreneurship, man. It's like entrepreneurship is, is driving on a highway and it's like crazy foggy and you can't really see in front of you, but you know, your destination, like, yeah. And, and all, and all of entrepreneurship is like, how long are you willing to drive knowing your destination, but not knowing when you're going to get there? Yeah. You don't know how close you are and you, and yep. you, and you never, you never, you're never going to in that initial period. And that's sort of the, that's the crux of it. That's the beauty of it. That's the test of it because you can truly believe it in your heart and it's a true test of faith and not doubting yourself, but you don't know how much longer there is to go and you don't know how long you can hold out for. And it's like this test of, oh, well, you can quit at any time. And that's what, that's what makes it mean something though when you finally do break through to it and then inevitably set the goalposts further off in the distance is because you know you didn't quit. And if you didn't have that, then it wouldn't mean anything. So that's what you've got to try to remind yourself of along the way. I noticed before you said that you're not successful yet by your estimation. I'm just wondering what your definition of success is. That's a great question, man. Uh, I, my, my definition of, of, of success is to get to a point where what I'm doing and what I've done is, is so successful and that it's able to run without me. So I can help others and I can say, okay, here's what I built. Now, the next thing that I'm going to build is a way to help others build what they're passionate about and help be the spark to make 20 other sparks happen. So when I'm in the point to do that, when I have enough influence and I have enough capital and I have enough power in a good way to be able to do that and make a wave like that. And like I said, what I'm building, when it gets to a point where I'm able to like, you know, kind of fly above it and just look at it and just be proud of, of, of what I built in the system and what it is as a business and as a, as, as something that's really making people's lives 1% better each day, then I'll be like, okay. Um, but that's the crux of it though. That's like the problem with my mind 
because then it's going to be something else where I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm one of my biggest problems. And also it's probably the reason why I'm, I have the disposition I do, but like, I'm never satisfied ever, like ever. There will always be like, there will always be something else that I will be working towards. There literally, there will always be another Mount Everest yeah. to me. But as the, as there should be though, like that's the, and that's the gift and the curse. The key is seeing that in yourself, being aware that you're always going to feel that way and allowing yourself to enjoy the journey and still have that, that satisfaction and that fulfillment, even knowing you're always going to want to aim higher, you're always going to want more, but not living, like you said before, in that, from that place of lack where it's all about the fact that I don't have enough yet or I'm not there yet. I have to. I have further to go, but being able to appreciate how far you've come and and what you're doing at the time, so you actually have that sense of fulfillment as you go along, because otherwise you're just going to be perpetually dissatisfied. But I think you've worked that out. You oh, seem yeah. like a pretty clever guy. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. I, well, I, I I realized I didn't have this realization until honestly like three four years ago. But like it, it really like the joy really is in the journey. Like it's all about the journey. Like. The, the the journey is the destination. Like if you're if as an entrepreneur or whatever, if you're all if you're caught up, if all you think about is like the destination, like the the true joy is is really in is really in the journey. Yeah. Hell um, yeah, man. That's that's it, all there it, ever is. And you'll never get there. If you're just worrying about the result, you never get there. And even if you do, once you do, it won't mean anything because you will have already set another goal and you wouldn't have appreciated it the whole way along. Yep. Yep. It's 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 all about it's all about the people you build it with. It's all about the people you impact. It's all about what you learn about yourself throughout the process. It's, it's all about you know, how you're tested, how you overcome stuff. And, you know, when you're able to get to where, you know, very few entrepreneurs have, and you're able to to look at your creation, you know, whether, you know, it means, you know, it gets an IPO or somebody buys it, or it's just successful enough to just continue to, to run and do its thing. Um, most entrepreneurs are just like, okay, well, what's next like like so it's it's but when you're there if, if you don't get to enjoy the journey then it, it's just not as 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 fulfilling hell um, yeah hell yeah man um <clears throat> but yeah hell yeah um so well said and just yeah i really like love talking to you today dude like i like the way that you see the world and and what you're putting forth and i love the attitude of having to bring other people up with you and trying to reframe that mindset within your community that actually true success and and what we should be shooting for is not only to put ourselves on top of the mountain but make sure we bring others along with us and then help bring others up because that's going to just make it mean so much more collectively and i like that you've based your whole life around that and that you've also obviously grown to love and accept yourself even though you were different to others growing up and you've turned that into a, a positive and now it's, a, it's playing out in a whole different way and you're setting a, a whole different example, an example that I think is really critical uh, to be set for young black men especially to look up to people like you finding a different way, doing a different thing and then basing it around helping other people rather than dominating everyone at the expense of others. So I think the work that you're doing is super impressive, super needed, and I have no doubt that it's going to go to the stratosphere because I know you're going to stay in the game to that point. <laughs>
an incredible interview, man. It's, it's, it's definitely one of the most favorite that I've done, man. You have a great platform, great show. You've done the work. You, you understand the stuff. You asked me very, very, very good research questions, but it came from a place of understanding. So something to be said for someone like you, you know, being a vessel for this stuff, because there's men that look up to you. There's tons of men that look up to you. And, and so, you know, doing what you're doing is just insanely important because the conversations are what's going to move it forward. And I, I, I truly appreciate that, man. So thanks, well, man. well done on That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Everything we do is recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Facebook and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate. We'd love to hear from you. You can sign up to our e-news through our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au. And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.